Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Jonathan Ragus, alongside me, my buddy, my partner, Mike McShane, and we're back for another episode of Fan Junkies Radio. How you doing, Mike? Oh, well, I'm hanging in, doing well. Yeah, I'm on my third cup of coffee, so coming back to life, that's what I can tell you. <laughs> well, it's good to know that. Yes. It really is good to know that, Mike, you know, because I'd hate to see something happen to you, so you need all your coffee you can get, man. Absolutely. And they can just keep bringing it coming, you know, just just keep coming with some coffee. Uh, well, Mike, we got a really good show today. Uh, yeah. You know, joined by another special guest today. Uh, it's former NBA player, former Miami Heat player, Philadelphia 76er Willie Burton, and we're going to get to him in just a couple of minutes. And uh, we have a lot to talk to Willie about good NBA career, and then we're also going to talk about educated stars of tomorrow. Willie's behind yep. that, uh, yep. so we'll get to learn more about that. And uh, I mean, we read a lot about it on EducatedStarsOfTomorrow.com, and uh, really interesting, Mike. And yes. You're a former teacher, so I know uh, you took uh, some, uh, ex- you know, exception to uh, get, you know, getting into it. So yeah, I'm going to be curious to hear uh, what Willie's angle is on it and how, how this is all uh, working. But obviously, uh, what they've done is they've identified. It appears to me, anyhow, that they've identified, you know, uh, a- athletes and some of the academic issues and challenges yes. that they've gotten. I'm, I'm going to be really curious to hear. I think it's, it sounds like a tremendous effort. Yes. Well, you know what? Let's bring in Willie right now to the show. Uh, we're going to actually go a little earlier than we normally do. So uh, joining us now is former NBA player Willie Burton. How you doing, Willie? Pretty good yourself. How are you guys doing today? Hey, hey, Willie. How are you? We're doing real good. Thanks for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to join us on Fan Junkies Radio today. Well, I thank you for having me, and it's an honor to be a part of this. Thank you. You know what? Let's get to talking first a little bit about your NBA career. Um, you know, drafted in the first round, 1990, going to the Miami Heat. Um, you know, to live out your dream like that and to be drafted into the NBA, just, you know, take us around uh, your feelings around that time when it was all coming down. Well, it was a exciting time, I think, for myself, my family. I think the individuals who had put time into me from the city of Detroit while growing up coached me and uh, took time to, to nurture my, uh, my, my basketball career. Uh, I think it was a great time, not only just for me, but it was a great time for my high school, and and also the city of Detroit, mm-hmm. as yeah. well as the University of Minnesota, because they they took a lot of time also to polish the skills that Detroit had forged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, I remember watching you play. I remember when you were with the Sixers. Uh, you know, we had Chucky Brown on last week, and, the, you know, same thing I could say to, uh, you know, I said to Chucky, I could say to you, I saw you toast my New York Knicks a couple of times, man. So, you know, your name always stuck into my head. So, <laughs> I got lucky a few times. Uh, uh, nah, that ain't luck, man. That's skill, and you definitely had the skill, Willie. So, well, Thank you. I appreciate that. Let me throw a game at you, Willie. Uh, I'm going to check your memory, I guess. And, and, and this one should be memorable, I think. I'm going to throw a game at you. How about December 13, 1994? December 13, 1994. Uh, I think... If I'm correct, that's the game that I scored the 53 points in. You got it. Absolutely. 
You okay. got it. And you were you were you were wearing uh, you were wearing the uh, jersey of of my Philadelphia 76ers because I'm from uh, the Philadelphia area. Okay. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was an exciting night. And that was against your former team, the Heat. So uh, let me tell you, did you? Uh, let me ask you, did you come out on the court with a little extra extra heat of your own? Uh, I think yes, sort of, but really not, not really, because you have to understand, I practiced against those guys every day, so I knew each each individual's weakness. You know, mm-hmm. who could go left, who couldn't go right. You know, who had you know problems moving laterally. You know, who had problems moving. You know up and down the court at fast speed, stopping and then exploding again. So I used that experience to actually – it actually helped me in, in my scoring effort. So there was, you wouldn't say there was necessarily any kind of uh, – there wasn't any kind of uh, uh, grudge there or any kind of vindication for Willie Burton? No, there wasn't any kind of grudge because, I mean, you got, in Miami what it was, it just was too many guys and not enough clock. That's, that's yeah. just kind of the way it was. We had a tremendous amount of talent. Um, I was young at the time also, but, you know, I played well. They had respect for me there. It wasn't like that. I just happened to – I think I, I've got hot like that before quite a few times in practice, so they knew I was capable of scoring a lot of points pretty fast. I just happened to put two halves together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Miami was still a fairly new team in the NBA when you arrived on the scene, so, you know, like you said, there were so many guys uh, I'm sure that they were probably trying to give a lot of looks to. But, you know, when they, uh, you know, let you go and you signed with the Philadelphia 76ers, was that one of the best offers that you got? Was it, you know, an honor for you to play in Philadelphia? What made you choose the 76ers? Well, well number one, historically, that was a – that's like basketball mecca. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you go back to Will Chamberlain, Billy Cunningham, Dr. J, Charles Barkley, Mo Cheeks. I mean, you go on and on and on and on, and that's somewhere where you like to at least say you played there and see if you can make a mark while you're there. Mm-hmm. You had your second best season there, according to what I'm looking at here. I mean, uh, uh, you played in 53 games. You started in 31 of them. Ended up uh, that season with 812 points. Yeah, I, I, I left. Uh, I think I turned my ankle like five times that season, and I remember vividly having to say, I think the last three months of the season, mm-hmm. uh, because it was so bad. It was it was like the situation where Grant Hill either I got screws put in it or I had to sell out the rest of the season. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back to that 94-95 team, uh, Willie. <clears throat> Help me out. Who were you, who was who were some of the other players on that team? Uh, you had Sharon Wright. You had DJ okay. Tyler. Uh, uh, Sean Bradley. Dana Barrels. My other teammates scored 50 points. So we became one of the, I think, the third uh, backcourt duo to score 50 points in a game in one season. Wow. Wow. Right. That's definitely interesting. I, and you know what? I actually remember Dana Barris' 50-point game, too. I didn't know it was in the same season, though. That's pretty cool. Same mm-hmm. season. We also had Tim Terry. We had mm-hmm. quite a Jeff Malone. We had Jeff Malone on the team. If everyone remembers that, that fading-in jump shot. Yep, I remember yep. that one, yeah. Yep, yep. Good old Jeff Malone. I remember uh, when uh, I was much younger, uh, there was a lot of people out right there saying, uh, you know, Jeff was uh, related to Carl. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's, that's right. You know, you know, it does in those days when you didn't have, you know, Wikipedia or the Internet to really go on and look up stuff, say, like, oh, really, that's his brother? Yeah. And when people made mistakes, you just accepted it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, you know. It really, I'm a I'm a, a former teacher of myself. I spent seven years in uh, nine to twelve, and then eight years in uh, K to eight. Um, okay. You've got this initiative going, going, educated stars of tomorrow. Talk to us about this. I've looked over the website a little bit. You've got a lot of research on here, man. 
Yeah, I've got a lot of research. I, I decided to do it actually the right way. Uh, Educated Stars Tomorrow is an evidence-based curriculum that focuses on identifying the academic, physical, social, emotional, and civic factors that should be addressed to promote health in the student, you know, students that are athletes. In other words, what I'm saying is that this is an underserved population who's been handed a great deal of responsibility, and the preparation for handling that responsibility in a mature manner is being the ball is being dropped, let's put it that way. And what I mean by the ball is being dropped, the ball really has never been picked up as to say, okay, this is a population. Now, if we have these kids here that are in high school, you could actually sell tickets and make money off them at the high school level, but there's no curriculum to help them prepare for what's in store for them in their specific field, like the stress and the pressure, injuries, you know, things of that nature that, that, that coexist with being a student-athlete. So, so, you know what, basically, what made you come up with doing the whole Educated Stars of Tomorrow thing? Well, there are a number of factors. Um, there, you know, I do work with high school players, I do work with college players, and I do work for, with professional athletes. And in going to, to deal with situations, you know, um, and, and remember, this is not urban, this is not suburban, this is not rural, this is all three. Because right. 30 to 50 percent of student athletes are leave school 30 percent in their first year, 50% in their second year leave school because of some behavior, some malability to adjust to a different environment. Okay. Now, we're talking about also the same population that graduates at a higher level. Uh, for females, you know, it reduces uh, pregnancy. For males, it increases their ability in their academic scores because they have a motivating factor to achieve in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Now, if we have this in this population, we cannot afford to lose it. Now, right. That's a great point. I mean, you're identifying potential leaders, and so really what you want to do is try to cultivate those leaders into the future. So what initiatives does Educated Stars of Tomorrow do? Do you go into individual schools, into individual school districts? How exactly are you initiating uh, some of the types of, of initiatives that you've got? Okay, well, right now there are going to be a total of five curriculums available done in phases. Right now I'm at Detroit Northwestern actually giving this interview right now, uh, in which I promised Ms. Raines, Principal Raines here, that once we kicked off uh, working and starting the process of the curriculum that I would spend time over here, and I love it. Uh, but one of the things that, that, that we must focus on in doing this, going back to your question, is that we have to identify the schools. We also have to identify the coaches. So one of the processes is if you look at the research, you can see that as far as who the student-athletes listen to, the coaches are a lot higher than the parents. I mean, they're so much higher that it's almost we had to actually create a curriculum with that. And I'd like right. to thank Elaine MacArthur while we're doing this because she really helped put the glue to what it is that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's over at Circa Learning. She helped uh, with a question to say that this population is underserved, and she's also a weightlifter, but Mainly how we address this is we bring the coaches in. There's a coaching curriculum specifically geared for coaches to say, okay, this is 2012, and this is the future of the NCAA. This is what is expected. These are some of the things that the student-athletes are going through. And to get them to recognize their their uh, their value to the student-athlete. Okay, in that, we also have a student curriculum for the student-athlete that we want the coaches and the administrators at the schools to train to administer to their kids. Now, in speaking with Washburn High School in Minneapolis, they brought up brought up that they came up with, uh, since it's a curriculum, 
and it's evidence-based, they could actually use it as a course and give the student-athletes credit. Right. That's how so, so what we're doing is we're allowing the flexibility. It's really important for what I've noticed in athletics is allow flexibility for administration and coaching staff. Don't come in and step on their territory and try to take over. If you don't do that, the odds are the doors will be open a lot, a lot you know, a lot more than they would if, if someone tries to come in and say, well, I know better than you do. You know, you got the egos on the table. Come on now. Right, right. <laughs> so, so this that's is actually, our approach. This is actually almost like, uh, I don't want to say necessarily a classroom, classroom environment, but you're actually teaching kids uh, about, and, and it sounds like coaches and others, administrators, et cetera, about these different aspects. You're actually in kind of a classroom environment. Yes, it's a classroom environment, and I think I think we should we should take note that this curriculum was put together by 50 stakeholders, which are former NCAA coaches, mm-hmm. former NBA players, WNBA players, Olympic track and field gold medalists, uh, so on and so forth. I mean, we can go down the list. This was created by the individuals that had gone through this process, and also I'd like to say some of these former athletes are also heads of their district right. in uh, education. I'd like to include that also. You make a tremendous point about the coaches because, as I pointed out, you know, being a former teacher myself uh, and, and in secondary education in 9 to 12, you're absolutely right. I saw it firsthand where a lot of the students valued the opinions uh, and the values of their coaches even over their own parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a very valid point that you make there. The, well, uh, correct. We've, we've taken it a step further. With, with in addition to that, we've also implemented mandatory the first random student drug testing for all athletes in the Detroit public school system. That's great. That's now, how long great. is as the well program? The how long has the program been going, uh, Willie? Right now, we've we, we've just starting to touch touch base with the program. We started the program approximately two years ago with okay. an idea and a concept that was bounced around to different organizations as to. Um, is this needed? Is this something that, that needs to happen? And I think the University of Minnesota's athletic department really pointed out to me when they were saying that, you know, some of the student athletes coming in with their with their I, I forget the name of the program the NCAA has, but they come they're coming in one to two years behind and they're not taking full advantage of it because they were not prepared before they got there. So I started to look at setting a you know, a a program uh to start before that, that, that they can once they get there, they they will have the ability to to catch on a lot easier and adapt to some of the changes in the environment, culture, um, food. I mean, you name it. There, there are changes that happen when an individual leaves their home, their hometown, and goes to a college setting. Right, right. Now, how many school systems or schools are you currently involved in? Well, right now I'm currently involved in two systems right now. I'm waiting on – got to excuse me, the bell is ringing here in Northwestern. No problem. That's okay. You I'm using it. Okay. <laughs> well, right now we're involved in the Detroit public school system, and we've started the process with the Minneapolis school system to do our pilot. Uh, we're, we're wel- we welcome any other school district. And one of the things that I think is key to this is we've got buy-in from a lot of the professional organizations uh, that I've spoken with. Uh, we've got buy-in to have some of the athletes uh, – you know, appear and do mentorship with this curriculum uh, across the country. So this curriculum is, is slated to have a global license. So it's, we're going for the highest standard possible with this, and we're going to eventually introduce it around the United States. Mm-hmm. So great. if, a, uh, if for instance, the Philadelphia School District, or say even 
an independent school, uh, an individual school, were to get in touch with Educated Stars of Tomorrow, uh, there would be somebody there that could fill them in and perhaps maybe get them on board as well. Is that is, Would that be accurate? Yes, that's very accurate. Okay. That's great. I mean, that's that's wonderful. I mean, you know, it's it's always good when you have programs like this for these, uh, you know, for not only the kids, what you're talking about, well, these, you know, coaches, parents, uh, you know, all types of educators, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Everybody needs to be educated on this type of thing. So. Well, and, and, and here's the other thing that I would just throw in from a personal standpoint. I did not work in urban schools. I worked in suburban schools, mm-hmm. and frequently those schools are, are viewed as being, you know, uh, some of the better institutions, and yet I'm going to tell you right now, the kind of philosophy, the kind of issues that Willie's bringing up, the fact that uh, student-athletes frequently are at risk, is the same type of thing that I even saw in some of the more affluent suburban schools that I had an opportunity at working. So I think it's, it's a valid program across the board, as he just brings up. I think I think it, you hit it right on the head. I had this conversation with Southwest, Minneapolis Southwest High School, where they typically have students of 3.5 and above. And I think one of the most important keys is that, you know, there's something in there with everyone. You just have to figure out what it is. It's stress. It's the pressure. It can be pressure at home. One of the things we're also going to have is a middle school curriculum we're going to develop. So we're even going to go as far as the middle school to get them ready for high school. Um, We're also going to have a mentorship uh, curriculum um, so that we can have, uh, as I said, stakeholders in the community. We want to – one of the things about this curriculum is it pulls in the stakeholders in the community, sometimes that are overlooked. They could have a – you know have a major effect on a positive in a positive way on the students and the student athletes. Yeah. And there is information on your website, is there for like say if a if a school wanted to get in touch with you or a school district wanted to get in touch with you, there are ways uh to do that from your website, is that right? Yes, there is exactly what and the great thing about it is a lot of our data is there. You know, as yes, I said, we're uh, research based. Uh, there's a lot of data there that explains why we chose to go the route that we have. And in going the route initially, looking at high school student athletes, we saw that, you know, our research and our data showed us that we need to expand this because there are more issues there than we even, you know, assumed, you know, in the beginning. And there is a heck of a lot of data on there. I I started out by saying that that you know I took some time to take a look at that, and as a former educator, I was I was uh, very very interested in that. I was very impressed with all the data that's on there. Well, thank you, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It, you know, it, it, it's pretty hard to actually start something that doesn't exist because, you know, <laughs> it, it starts off as words and, you know, everyone can see it. Wow, well, how do you start that? You know, and <laughs> the first person I called was Elaine MacArthur, uh-huh. you know, because this is what she does at Circle Learning specifically. And being a former athlete herself, she could also bring information that we could use in order to embark, you know, to finish and finalize the curriculums, curriculums mm-hmm. in the way we have. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great stuff. Well, I'd also like to thank General Mills also for their support um, in what we're doing. They've, they've helped me tremendously in creating uh, the image of Educating Stars of Tomorrow, and, and I don't think that they're finished yet. They have some more resources there that they're going to give us and, and help us with. And one of the things also, when it comes to cost of these curriculums, I think it's really important that the schools and school districts understand that it's approximately $10 per student to, mm-hmm. to have a curriculum like this. And I know for a fact there is a, a a company, corporation in your community that will write a check for that. There you go. Because it's something that's different, unusual, and it's something that, that will change athletics. Because what we see is we, we see 
athletes on TV every day at the professional level. Yep. You know, something happening. And that's because nothing was done at this level. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that was going to be one of my real quick follow-up questions was the cost involved in this and, and whether that is a detriment right now uh, in your promotion of it because of the fact there's so much cutting back going on in education uh, and, and how some of the some of the districts, particularly urban districts, would be able to afford this kind of a program. So I think that's great that you brought that up. Well, I, I, you know, I thank you for having me on the show. I think yep. that um, I think that my experience and some of the things that I've gone through, which weren't always positive, I might add. You know, I didn't have a smooth. You know, I didn't sail down the lake. You know, with a smile and some sunglasses. You know, halfway <laughs> down the lake, you know, a, a few storms came, a few hurricanes sure. actually, and it was mm-hmm. just me and that little boat, and the ability to ask for help from someone is something student athletes are kind of are kind of how could I say, we're almost taught not to do that. We're almost taught to push through whatever's there. Mm-hmm. And don't rely on anything except what's inside of you. And in the real world, that can take you down. Yeah. Yep. Man, you hit the nail on the head there, man. Willie, you know what? We have to thank you, man, for taking the time out of your hectic schedule to join us today and tell us uh, a lot about Educated Stars of Tomorrow. We truly appreciate it. If there's anything uh, you know, Fan Junkies and Fan Junkies Radio could ever do for you guys in, in the Philadelphia area, we hope you come calling. Okay, I really appreciate it. Also, I'd like to thank uh, the other professional organizations, especially the NBA. And I'd like to, to thank the NBA for giving me the opportunity to do public speaking right now, uh, mm-hmm. slated for the NBDL uh, mm-hmm. coming up here in, in the next month. Uh, it, this has just been something. And, and I'd also like to thank the NBA for helping me get to where I am today. The reason I, I say that is because their programs are so comprehensive and so supportive that the things that I was going through, you know, me, myself, my family, their programs mm-hmm. were there to give me guidance through this immaturity, mm-hmm. I would say. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to give, have an opportunity to talk to the players to get them to use those resources. Yeah. I mean, number one, they cost about twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 each. So you wouldn't be able to afford it if you weren't playing in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And number two, why not use us? Yeah. Yep. Huh? I wish you all the luck with this, Willie. Yeah. I really do. I mean, like I said, as a, as a former educator, I, I, I certainly definitely see the benefit of this. Okay, well, I really appreciate you guys for having me on. Uh, some of the students are looking for me right now. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> you take care of yourself, Willie. Thanks for joining us, man. We, we truly appreciate it. All right, thank you very much. And I'd also like to say hello to Troy Atkinson, a former uh, high school uh, classmate of, my, of mine that really follows your show intensely, and he's been like that since high school. And I just want to say that uh, hello to him, and I, and I see a lot of things on your show through him. That's thank terrific. You. Great. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Take Bye, care. Bye, Mike. Great stuff. You know, it's uh, you know we truly need programs like this, Mike. Yeah. You know, you know, like you said, education and and you know funds to uh, education programs are always are always being cut. It's one of the first things to always be cut in this country, and uh, you know it takes uh, you know people like Willie Burton and it takes uh, you know uh, you know big corporations like General Mills and you know the NBA and other athletes to uh, you know to help keep it moving. Well, you know, uh, Jonathan, and and one of the things that I was really impressed with that Willie pointed out there. You know, we, I think a lot of us have this uh, misconception that, uh, you know, students 
are always going to have issues, particularly in urban settings. Mm -hmm. And athletes in particular, uh, it would be easy to identify those at risk in the urban in those urban uh, districts. Yeah. But this is not and this is not an urban issue. This I can I can speak to, I can attest to, uh from having witnessed it myself firsthand. This goes across the board. Yes. All right. It does. Uh, I've had the opportunity, as I pointed out, to work in some of the more affluent uh, schools and school districts. Uh and and what he's describing is not unique to urban conditions. No, it's not. You know what? You worked in the suburban School district. I'm from the urban school, you know, district in the big cities. They both have the same problems, Mike. Mm -hmm. You know. But listen, you know what? If you're still listening and you want to learn more about Educated Stars of Tomorrow, you can go to educatedstarsoftomorrow.com. You can email them info at educatedstarsoftomorrow.com. And if you want to learn more about Willie Burton and uh, what he does, you can just head over to willieburton.com. There you go. Great, great guy, and it was a real privilege to have him on the show today. It, it really was. And I, I, if you know, later on, if Willie's listening in, I, I thank him for being on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll definitely be uh, emailing and talking to him and uh, hopefully finding uh, you know some more information about Educated Stars tomorrow. And who knows, Mike, maybe we can even help out somehow in the Philadelphia area. You got it. Uh, but you know what? Let's uh, y you know change formats here and get into uh, NHL, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Do we have you know, to? <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, because we have to talk about everything. So uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, you know, this, you know, something that we hold near and dear to our hearts, which is the uh, NHL and ice hockey. And uh, you know what? Last week we spoke about. When will they have a mediator come in, Mike? Will there ever be an arbitrator? Yep. What happened moments later, Mike? We get text messages saying, hey, guess what? The NHLPA is requesting a mediator. Yeah. yeah. So whatever you hear on Fan Junkies Radio, it's going to happen. Well, it comes know, true. I brought up Ouija boards yesterday or the two days ago. So, I mean, you know, maybe we're just a Ouija board of sports uh, sports talk. Yeah, well, I wish my uh, Ouija glass would go over to winning lottery numbers. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't work out too well for you, huh? No, it didn't. I uh, got no number on uh, you know ten bucks worth of tickets, unfortunately. So, but let's talk about this. All right, they you do, finally you do have it well there as you do with your picks, huh? Well, let's. <laughs> no, so. We talking garbage. I had I had to throw that in. Oh, of course you had to. I'm actually shocked to remember it at your age, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, listen. NHL, they finally get a mediator. They, uh, you know, they sat down for several hours, uh, you know, both sides over the last two days, and then what happens? The mediator concludes that the parties remain extremely far apart. Nothing happens. <laughs> Seriously, this is getting to be a joke. Two days, man. It was two days. Yeah. And the and the mediators are getting up and citing irreconcilable differences. I mean, let's get it straight. That's basically what they did. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, <laughs> Donald Trump said the statement, and I quote, the mediators informed the parties that they did not think it was productive to continue the discussions further yeah. today. The mediators indicated that they would stay in contact with the league and the NHLPA and would call the parties back together when they thought the time was right. Really? Right. Come on. The time was right months ago. Here's the thing that I think is even a bigger joke, though. Uh, if, if I read this correctly, I believe the NHL actually proposed – a uh, owners, players, meetings only. Well, what the hell have they been doing for the past number of months? It was all the lawyers. It was all the big, powerful people like the commissioner. It, you know, there, there was no players at these meetings. Come on, Mike. Well, uh, uh, this is this is ludicrous. Uh, uh, two days? We're going to give mediation two days. Well, you know what? Listen, let 
them meet. Let the players and the owners meet. I think that is a great idea. But the players you send to this thing, I don't want you sending these dippy players, man, that barely talk. I want you to send the players that have been in the league a long time, that know what they're doing. And one of the people I'd love to see go is New York Rangers backup goaltender Marty Buran. Send the guys that know the side of the business. Send the guys that want to be a part of the business after they're done playing. Right. That's who you send. That's who you send to go up against the owners and say, hey, listen, this is what we think is fair. You tell us what you think is fair. Let's figure it out today. Well, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want no daily and fair and Bettman talking amongst each other with the owners out of the loop on this side and the players out of the loop on that side. Let the owners and the players meet. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I hear it. I mean, anything because look, the last lockout, what happened? You had the one guy from, uh, you know, from the owners meet with Trevor Linden, who was an NHLPA representative and still playing at the time. They hashed it out, lockout over. You know, maybe changing the faces around the table might change a little bit. All right. Um, in the USA Today article that that uh, that I had up this morning and that I sent over to you, uh, Alan Walsh, who's an agent uh, for some of the players. Uh, said that he's not against an owner's uh, players uh, meeting, uh, but it would depend on which of the owners uh, would attend. And if it was the same four that have been attending all the other meetings, then it would be a waste of time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Jonathan, i got to ask you a question. Do you really think that suddenly you're going to change up the faces sitting around the table that, you know, somebody's going to break here? I mean, I brought this up a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about Ed Snyder of uh, of uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. And I said, you know, if this guy was really, really dissatisfied with the way this is going, you know, does he have enough clout to potentially pull the plug on it and, 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 and get this thing to crumble? Well, you know, these guys, I mean, are the, you know, are you, you put four different owners around the table. Do you think that they're not going to give the same pat lines that, have been, that, that we've been hearing from Bettman for the past three months? Listen, to me it couldn't hurt right now because it's already so far gone. To me, there's no return. And that's what I've been saying for weeks now, Mike. You know, change the faces around the table. Let the players and the owners actually meet face-to-face. Uh-huh. What could come of it? Either the owners say, okay, guess what? The players are are, are, are the ones requesting this, or the owners are the ones requesting this. Let's just lo- take the whole season out. Because uh-huh. it's ridiculous. We're already going into December. Winter Classic is canceled. All-Star Game is canceled. Yeah. You know? What are we going to do, a three-month season? Come on. Yeah, I just can't see where changing the faces up is necessarily going to change anything. I, it couldn't do any harm. I mean – Because it's garbage already. You get an owner that's, – That's my argument. It, you, it can't do any harm because it's been terrible. You get a different owner in there, and he goes into a meeting and perhaps maybe says uh, something that's that's contrary to the to the company line, and you know what's going to happen. Batman and company are going to come out and afterwards say, "Hey, what are you, an idiot? Shut your mouth!" You know, well, he might even. You know, he might even knows. Maybe you know what? Maybe it'll show people that you know what? Batman and Fair and Daly, these are the guys that need to be taken out of power. Well, well, uh, I'm not optimistic because, on that one. Listen, I'm sure there's still a lot of owners sticking by Batman, but I'm sure there are a few that just want to get the season started that are hurting right now financially because of it. You and I both know that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the small market teams are the ones that are hurting. You know, right, right. Like Jim Dolan ain't hurting. You know, uh, oh, Snyder's not hurting. You know, but there are some guys. You know, you know. I was going to say Atlanta Thrashers, but you know, Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm sure they're hurting. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of teams really hurting right now, Mike. Well, uh, and I mean, you're making a great segue right into the Forbes article that came out the other day, yeah. uh, where they ranked, uh, you know, all of the uh, NHL teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very top of the list, uh, you've got the Toronto Maple Leafs worth a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that article also pointed out that there are uh, somewhere in the area of 13 teams that are cur- currently losing money. Yeah. All right, this goes right back to exactly what the owners and the uh, NHL have been indicating now through all of these negotiations. Uh, I frankly thought the Forbes article uh, uh, actually promoted what the NHL wants in this new CBA. You know what? You have Ken Campbell from the Hockey News wrote today that the Forbes report did did the NHL absolutely no favors. And in it, he says that, you know, considering that the NHL's board of governor pays Gary Bettman $8 million a year, for his responsibility as chief negotiator, he's not even earning it. You know, are the are you know are the owners reading this stuff? Are they listening to not only the fans but the actual media who is digging this stuff up to put these ideas? And I say, hey, listen, the guy you have in power that's fighting for you, he's not earning the money you're giving him. Yeah, well, well. you know, I, I, to me there was a great line in the Forbes article, uh, which I thought in one sentence is it one sentence? It's actually two sentences. In two sentences, I thought summed it up completely. Yeah. Uh, the league's overall profitability would increase with a 50-50. They're talking about the 50-50 revenue uh, sharing formula. Mm-hmm. The league's overall profitability uh, would would increase. But teams like the Carolina Hurricanes, Phoenix Coyotes, Tampa Bay Lightning, Anaheim Ducks, and Columbus Blue Jackets would still have trouble making money unless they went at least two rounds into the playoffs. Yeah. No. So it goes to show you how volatile some of these smaller market teams are. Now, we've talked about that. You and I have. You know, there's a couple of ways you can deal with that. You can deal with it financially on the front end by virtue of going with a new CBA. Mm-hmm. Or you could just turn your back on those teams, shut them down, and go open them up in, 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 uh, in uh, markets that, that where they will thrive. Yeah. To do the latter, however, is going to take more time. It would be better to address the issues on the front end right now. And that's where I still, in many respects, kind of lean in favor of the owners and, 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 and say that I think something's got to be done to address the equitability of the entire league. Something's got to happen, and it's going to have to happen soon, Mike. You know, it's either some, you know, it's either a deal is reached in good faith and they play while they still continue to negotiate or they just end the whole season. That's it, you know? I don't think the first is going to happen. No, it's not going to happen because, you know what? It should have happened already. Exactly. And it could have happened. Exactly. But, you know what? When you got these little birdies chirping in other ears telling you not to do it, right. it's hard to, you know? So. Well, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's really sad uh, that, you know, mediation and arbitration was given a whopping total of only two days. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. You know what, man? I... When we heard the mediators were coming in, I, I honestly thought that it was going to be a better thing, and it just proved to be an even bigger joke. You know, well, it, it's, it's, it's a shame. But you know what? It's just another time that we've been led to some level of optimism that has been left down. So, well, you know, they, they you know they keep leading us horses to water, and yep. uh, unfortunately, yep. there's no water there. So, yep. you know, that's basically. But you know, it's screw the NHL. I'm done talking about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, till Monday. <laughs>
<laughs> what do you mean, till tonight when I talk to you on the phone or something, man? Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so you're texting me something and sending me, uh, hey, have you seen this? <laughs> yeah, because every time we get off the air, I end up digging up new dirt or somebody from, uh, you know, one of my little insiders always end up texting me something. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about football, Mike. You got it. Uh, last night's game, Atlanta Falcons defeated the New Orleans Saints 23-13. to McShane, you took the Hornet, uh, the Hornets, New Orleans Hornets. Go figure. Uh, from you, I wouldn't expect. You no, know, I mean that's like for listening to our Chucky Brown show the other day. Yeah, yeah. Um, New Orleans Saints, you picked them. You said that they were going to defeat the Falcons. I took the Falcons, saying no way. Falcons are now eleven and one. Mike, what does that mean? You're zero and one. This moment, yes. <laughs> Drew Brees, five interceptions last night. Yeah. How insane was that for Drew Brees? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you. Uh, you know, I really thought New Orleans would would have come out and played a lot better uh, because it was, you know, for them it was a must-win game. For Atlanta, no. But for New Orleans, it was a must-win game. They didn't play terrible. Uh, you know, I hate to say it. you got to put those five interceptions on Drew Brees. The, the, uh, you know, still 341 yards passing. Uh, <laughs> the only reason New Orleans lost that game was because of five interceptions. Oh, yeah. Other than that. Other than that, I mean, when you take a look at the numbers. Point loss, I mean. Drew Brees was 28 of 50 for 341 yards. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, you know, uh, while he ended up with a passer rating of, of uh, 37.6, a lot of that was pulled down because of all those interceptions. Well, um, that and the fact that, you know what, because of those interceptions, you ain't getting your kicker in place to kick any field goals. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So I, I, uh, Matt Bryan had what three last night? Two, uh, but you know, considering that, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, you know what? That wasn't Drew Brees last night. It, it was insane. Well, I mean, when he was throwing the ball, not to the other guy, uh, <laughs> he was looking accurate. <laughs> it was just you know those few times that it didn't look very good that he was throwing it right into somebody else's hands. I mean, these weren't situations where it was being tipped. You know, and then you got yourself an errant. Uh, you got yourself an errant interception. There were a couple of them where he threw it right into a right into a uh, you know Atlanta Falcon defender's arms. Yeah. So no, it was not a good display. I, I think it pretty much uh, puts an end to any uh, p- possibility or potential for the New Orleans Saints to to say, well, we've got a we've got a possibility at a run for uh, for the playoffs. I think it's done at this point. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, it's it's tough for them. What are they now? Five and seven, I believe. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, five and seven, and there goes Atlanta. I think Atlanta did Atlanta. I don't have uh, the, the uh, league uh, standings, but I believe Atlanta clinched. Um, the did they clinch a first round by? Um, I don't think yet, but they're right there. So yeah. I don't see how they're not going to get it. Oh, I think they clinched. They they clinched something last night. Let me just see here real quick. Up, 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 up. Um, but no, it was a it was a, a disappointing game to watch. I, I I did think New Orleans was going to win it. I uh, thought that uh, I thought it would be a lot more exciting. Well, it pushed um, Atlanta to the brink of a division championship. It says. So. Oh, okay, there you go. There yeah. you go. So they're uh, they're right there. I, I you know what I think uh, next week's when we'll actually clinch it all for them. So. Eleven. Well, I think it's going to depend on what happens with Tampa Bay uh, on uh, Sunday. I believe right. Uh, it's going to depend on that. If Tampa Bay loses, I think that at that point, then Atlanta would clinch the division. Crazy. Yep. That that's what it. That's what they're waiting on. They're waiting on what to see what happens. Hey, listen, man. Uh, good for them. Eleven and one, Atlanta. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, good for them. Good amazing. for them. Huh? Yeah. Well, uh, 
Well, the, well, you got their fans out there pelting, pelting the, uh, pelting the bus with eggs. Hey, listen, man. I got pelted with eggs on Halloween many times. Yeah, well, you yeah. Give me a million dollars, man. You could pelt my bus. You know, we're talking about fan behavior the other day, you know? Yeah, too bad that didn't happen. You know, too bad we couldn't talk about that on Wednesday. Wonderful Atlanta fans down there, you know? Yeah, listen, I hate to say it, Mike. Every, every city's got them. Yeah, well. You know? You got one stooge that hey. starts, the other stooges follow. So. We wouldn't think of doing something like that here in Philadelphia. No, of course. He wouldn't use eggs. He'd use batteries. <laughs> you try to actually kill one of the Saints players. <laughs> All right, listen, let's talk, let's talk 49ers quick because this is a story that we were talking about amongst ourselves privately earlier today, Mike. Um, Alex Smith, starting quarterback of the uh, 49ers, who's having one of the better seasons, he's actually – he's wondering how the hell he lost his starting job. Yeah. Yep. You know, how? I, I mean, listen, you know, Colin Kaepernick, whatever he's doing is – I mean, you know, they're getting wins. But how do you take out your best quarterback – for the backup quarterback, so he's basically saying that he lost his starting job because he got a concussion, and yet yeah. he's totally fine now. And he's still not playing. Yeah, it, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of controversy, I guess. Um, you know, I, I don't take anything away from what I've seen of Colin Kaepernick. I think he's actually played pretty well. Yeah, but the question is take anything away from Alex Smith either, because I think this is probably the best. Season Alex Smith has ever had. Well, I agree, and and and, and see this. And now is, he's he's done. I mean, you know that that whole mojo is gone now. We uh, we talked uh, a, a little bit about this last night on uh, Five Minutes at the Pratt House. Here's here's the question I I have. I mean, I, you know, I, I first of all I've never been a, a big big Alex Smith fan. I, I I frankly think he's kind of a bit overrated. Yep. Uh, I I have stated before that I think he really is just a kind of a uh, uh, a fair to maybe a mediocre quarterback who has a good team around him. Yes. Um, however. Sounds like the Patriots. Uh, oh, boy. However, um, <laughs> the uh, you know, this is a guy that, that, that helped them get deeply into the playoffs last year. Yeah. He's currently ranked fifth in the NFL mm-hmm. uh, in, in quarterback ranking. Uh, I mean, you're an 8-2-1 team. You're at the top of the Western Division in the NFC. Uh, how do you take your starting quarterback and sit him? I don't care how good Kaepernick has been. Uh, it, nonetheless, I mean, let's get it straight. He's still a second-year quarterback. Uh, how do you go and do that? Now, you know, uh, Sidekick was saying last night that that uh, John uh, Harbaugh has given himself an out where he said, well, no, we're just going to sit him for this week. Uh, yet at the same time, Alex Smith has come out and said uh, he's not happy about the situation at all. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you got to wonder where is this going? You know, uh, Harbaugh says uh, we like them both. We're going to start them both. We're going to, you know, uh, whoever's got the hot hand. Hey, Jonathan, you and I have seen this kind of thing before in the NFL. It may work with goaltenders in the NHL. I don't think it's very successful in the NFL. No, it's not. You know what? And uh, Harbaugh came out as well and said that. Uh, you know, we've got two quarterbacks that we feel great about as a, as the starting quarterback. Well, no, because you need to have one starting quarterback. I think because of the nature of football, like I said, this is not a situation like a goaltender in the NHL where you put a guy back there and, uh, you know, hey, he's good, he's serviceable, he's going to stop the, the, the shots from coming in, uh, but the defense will clean up any messes that he leaves behind. The quarterback is your leader of the team. There is no other position in any sport, I think, 
that takes on as big a leadership role as a quarterback on a football team. Yeah, and when you've got that kind of inconsistency back there where the team, the rest of the team around them, particularly the offensive team, doesn't know from one week to the next who's going to be the guy back there calling the numbers, I think that that can really, really lead to an internal issue. And I think I think history has proven that. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what Harbaugh's mentality is here in trying this often tried uh, and often failed uh, kind of philosophy. I don't get it. Mm. I would stick, if it were me, I would stick with Smith. That's just me. Well, as would I. But listen, we have a call. We have uh, Brooklyn Daniel, our good friend on the line ah, here. Okay. And uh, he's actually uh, re- he's going to bring something up to us, Mike, yep. um, that I was just going to bring up after this that we didn't have planned. So, uh, Brett, how you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? How are you today? Hey, Brett. We're doing good. Um what you want to talk about right now is something I was just going to bring up, and I, you know what? I totally missed it today, even though I wanted to talk about it after hearing about it last night. So you bring it up, and I want you to tell me your comments on it. All right. Well, when I first read about this, I thought it was so ridiculous, and it got even more ridiculous as the night went on. But I'm actually calling it about uh, the whole thing that's going on right now with David Stern and the San Antonio Spurs. Yes. Uh, last night, little backstory: the Spurs decide to sit. Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and uh, Danny Green. Yeah. This was their fourth game in five nights. So Greg Popovich sends them home on a charter plane a day early, uh, gives them the day off. Now, this is something that Popovich has done quite often in the past. He did this last year when they had seven games in 11 days. He gave them off the last day, sent them home, no problem. Yeah. Now, maybe maybe this is, this is different this season because, you know, that last game of the big stretch ends up being – you know, nationally televised game against the Heat or whatever. And then David Stern comes out later that night and says, you know, I, 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 let me see if I can find the quote. Oh, this is an unacceptable decision by the San Antonio Spurs, and substantial sanctions will be forthcoming. Yes. I don't know about you guys, but David Stern needs to shut the hell up. He needs to worry about other things. There's so many other things he can be worried about right now. Let Greg Popovich, a proven coach, a winning coach, do his own thing, worry about what he needs to do. I personally, I don't have a problem with it. And then and then to make it even better, the Spurs almost win the game last night. Yeah. They lost by five points to the Heat without Duncan, Parker, Ginobili, and Danny Green, which is four of their top five scores. Now, listening to what, well, excuse me, reading what, what uh, Stern, you know, David Stern said today, David Stern, the NBA commissioner, is basically coming out and saying, no. Even though you are an NBA coach, you don't get to tell anybody on your team what to do. Who the hell is he? I don't exactly. get Exactly. I don't get this. Are you kidding me? The We're going to have the commissioner? The great thing LeBron James came out and says, no, Greg Popovich wasn't in the wrong. It's not in the rules to tell you, you know, tell your guys you can't send your guys home or anything. He is the coach of the San Antonio Spurs. David Stern is not. Is there any kind of precedent for this? Where a commissioner could come in and fine a team or a coach for sitting players? Are you kidding me? This well, is an last, outrage. Last season, last season when this happened, it, I, I want to say it was um, they played. It was I think it was the sixth game of a, of a road trip, and it was you know, their eleventh road game in the month of November alone when Popovich did the same exact thing. Yeah, I remember this. It was against Utah. And at the time, uh, the NBA deputy commissioner, commissioner Adam Silver he decided not to discipline them for, you know, sending Duncan Parker and Ginobili home. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we have the same thing this year. I really think it comes down to a nationally televised game against the Heat. Well, you know what? Get this. 
As Silver told NBA.com in April, he said that the strategic resting of particular players on particular nights is within the discretion of the team itself. Exactly. Why? Because it was a nationally televised game last night? That's why the Spurs are you know, going to get fined and everything? No, it's, it's, it's garbage. Yeah, and, and coming up on Saturday, you have the Spurs playing the Memphis Grizzlies with, I know it's early in the season, but the division uh, lead on the line. You know, obviously, I think that game should be more important. Playing the Heat, every win or lose to the Heat really doesn't matter when it comes for playoff time. No, Spur. Listen, man, the Spurs Heat game, Western versus East, it didn't mean nothing to Popovich last night, and this is why he is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Uh, I, I, I am just so st- utterly stunned that that a commissioner yeah. would come out and make these kinds of threats and even attempt to uh, make a move on something like this. This is a disgrace. Well, listen, man, These teams what? are individually owned and individually managed. That is why you hire a coach. I you don't allow the commissioner to step in and, 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 and start running uh, the day-to-day operations of what goes on on a game. That's outrageous. Yeah. Well, according to, Chris, according to Chris Sheridan, one of David Stern's biggest issues with this is, uh, aside from it being a nationally televised game against the Heat, is that the Heat use a some kind of dynamic ticket pricing system where the actual pricing of tickets depends on the team that the Heat are playing. So this game against the Spurs was actually one of their highest-priced tickets for the entire season. So all of these people in, in Miami bought tickets to see this Heat and Spurs game, and then they ended up seeing you know the Spurs D-League team play the Heat. Yeah, and, and yet they got one, one of the, the most exciting games early on in this NBA season. Exactly. Because it was exactly. a great game. They needed Ray Allen to hit a three-pointer at the end to win this game. And that's yep. what happened. Oh, man. Wow. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think about uh, – what do you think the sanctions could be? I mean, when you when you read significant sanctions, what what exactly – what do you think they could possibly come down with on, on Greg Popovich and the Spurs? Popovich is going to get fined. It's going to be a fine, yeah. And let me tell you, I guarantee you, they're going to be talking about a possible one-game suspension. I guarantee you. It's going to be mentioned. It's not going to happen, but it'll be mentioned. The Spurs organization is going to get fined a hefty sum, as well as George, uh, you know, uh, Greg Popovich. Well, if there's any kind of uh, game suspensions, that absolutely, positively should be appealed. I mean, that is ridiculous. Yeah. That sets a very, very dangerous precedent, in my opinion. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, where does it stop then? I mean, it, what if what if this role is kind of reversed soon, later in the season? I mean, for, let's let's hypothetically speaking, I don't know who the Heat play on Christmas Day, but let's say the Heat play the Lakers. Uh, you, uh, it would never happen in a million years, but let's say LeBron James he's tired. They've played three games that week. Oh, I'm going to sit LeBron James. I mean, at that point, is that is that does that now set a precedent where? Maybe they are at risk of a fine, a suspension. It's ridiculous. This yeah. puts a, it's a, such a horrible precedent. It's such, it's this is such a bad decision. And I'm curious if uh, I doubt this is going to happen, but I'm curious if David Stern is actually going to follow through with something like this, specifically giving the backlash that he's being uh, receiving today. I would agree with you, Brett. I'm I'm curious as to whether this is just a lot of bravado on his part or whatever. But uh, here's the other question that I would throw in there: Where's the players' association on this? Because if suddenly a commissioner can begin to dictate what a team's lineup is, you're going to have the players coming out and say, wait a minute, you're risking the possibility of some of some players potentially getting injury. So yeah. I think you're going to hear from the Players Association before long. On oh, this. you would have to. You, you know, you know, we would have to. And you know what? One of the things I have to say about this is 
Stern can't step down and Adam Silver can't take over soon enough. Uh, I agree with you. You know, that's, that's weird, isn't that? Because I, listen, Adam Adam Silver plays by the rules. You know, yeah. and that's what you know. You and you heard him from his comments even last year about this. He plays by the rules. David Stern, man, he's he's just he's done. Yeah, he is. Well, and it's not like they. It's not like these guys sat. They're they're hot young, um, you know, on fire stars. They sat thirty six year old Tim Duncan, who you know, come on now, thirty five year old Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, who I think for Tony Parker is only twenty nine or thirty, maybe thirty one, but. Let's, I mean, he's been playing a long time. These, these are aging guys who need a rest like this. Four games in five nights. I mean, yep, that's yep. ridiculous. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's why it would seem to me that the Players Association has got to weigh in at some point uh, because, you know, they it, whether it's true or not, you know, they're going to sit there and they're going to say, wait a minute, you're running the risk of the fact that some players, you know, if the coach makes the determination that somebody needs a break, uh, and, and you're going to insist that we have to play these guys, you're running the risk of injury. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah. No. I don't know. But so I guarantee I you we'll guys, definitely be hearing from the uh, Players Association on this. No doubt about it. Yep. I thank you guys for taking my call. Good show. And uh, if I could just toss this out there really fast. Uh, I know you guys have done this in the past. WrestleChat.net is my website. And uh, we just recently – picked back up. Uh, we started back up on Wednesday. We've kind of been going for about three weeks now. We've doing a, been doing a lot of extra work on the side for people that were displaced by uh, Hurricane Sandy. And I want to personally thank you guys because I know you guys mentioned uh, the Operation Restore Ashore, which uh, I am running. I know You've you done a tremendous job well. with that, Brett. Yeah, tremendous well, job with that. that I'll that's actually fabulous. be down in, uh, on the Jersey Shore tomorrow rebuilding uh, my fiance's grandparents' home that they lost. So yeah. we'll be down there tomorrow. I give you well, a heck of a lot of Anything I give you, you a guys a lot of credit, uh, and anything like that, you know, feel free to let me know. But uh, that's where we've kind of been. But with the website, we're we're back up and we're running uh, full time, and we're gonna we're gonna do our best to balance everything. And uh, so, thank you guys for mentioning it. And I just want to let all the listeners know that are fans and have visited the website in the past that we are back, back up and running. And uh, we absolutely, we'll, we'll keep things. plugging it every every chance we get, brother. Thanks, fellas. Take care. Thanks, Brett. Keep up Brett. the good Thanks work there. Me. Keep up the good work, Brett. Great stuff. Actually, uh, you know what? We uh, we have really? a trade right now, too. Uh, really? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we have a trade right now, too. Oh, we got breaking news? Yeah. Uh, Brett actually just hit me up with it uh, via Fan Junkies chat. Uh, the uh, Angels are going pitching crazy again. They just acquired Tommy Hansen from the Atlanta Braves. Oh. Uh, it's uh, MLBTradeRumors.com uh, is reporting it, and they also say it's unclear which other players are involved in the trade at the moment, so there might be other players besides Tommy Hansen in this trade between the Angels and the Braves. Uh, yeah, I'd like to hear who the Braves are getting. Yeah, so Braves pick up uh, B.J. Upton on a five-year deal just, what, yesterday, I believe, and now all of a sudden, boom, Tommy Hansen leaves Atlanta, and he's going to be uh, pitching-heavy Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that, that that certainly helps them out in their starting rotation. The uh, thing that I'm thinking of, um, what is Atlanta getting? Yeah, it, I would like to know. You know, yeah. especially since they just signed B.J. Upton. So they exactly. got their, you know what, they got their outfielders. They got Hayward, they got Upton. So, uh, you know, who else is going to be, uh, you know what, but who else is even going to be leaving Atlanta in this deal? Hmm. That's what I'm uh, actually interested in uh, because uh, – you know, uh, wait. Uh, Atlanta will also will, will receive Jordan Walden in return. I just read. Hmm. Not sure who Jordan Walden is. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, oh, if he's a uh, bigger player or not. But uh, what is he? Da, 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 da. He's a, he's. Uh, oh, oh, 
what is he? A, he's a pitcher. So pitcher for pitcher. All right. Pitcher, 6'5", 230 pounds. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's uh, loading up, man. Well, it sounds like it sounds like California is. <laughs> yeah, I mean Jordan Wald. I mean, I'm looking at his record right now. He went uh, three and two last season, five and five the season before. He's only played three seasons, and the season before that he was zero and one. So it's uh, they're going youth. Yeah, nothing special for them. It looks like uh, well, I mean, bringing the BJ Upton, I wouldn't say they're going to go for a complete rebuild, but mm-hmm. you know, but who knows? Uh, you know, the Marlins did it, so right. Now they're completely rebuilding. Uh, okay. Don't get me started on that one. Yeah, we only have a little over three minutes left. Uh-huh. Um, let's plug a couple of things here. You got it. We got some great stuff going on. Monday show. Yeah. Have uh, 100 Ranger greats author Russ Cohen joining us to speak about his new book about the uh, NHL Winter Classic. So, yes, we will be talking NHL on Monday, like you said. I, I told you we would be because you just can't stop talking about it. You know, this is going to be interesting because uh, his whole book is about the Winter Classic, and I started reading – uh, some of it uh, the other day. Um, and this is going to be really interesting on the heels of the fact that, of course, this year we're not going to have one. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to chatting with Russ on that one on Monday. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Russ is a, you know, uh, he, he's a really good friend to us over at Ranger Nation. I've known Russ for uh, quite a long time. And, uh, you know, if you haven't even checked out 100 Ranger greats, you should. Uh, you know, Russ is the co-author there with Adam Rader and the late, great John Halligan. Check it out. Amazing book. I have a couple of copies of it actually. It's in two different parts of the house because it's that good. And the name and the the name of his current book is what it, you got the name right there, John. I believe it's just called Winter Classic. Book. I think it is too. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know that I'm going to tell you for any the hockey Winter fan, Classic by Russ Cohen. For any hockey fan out there who is right now just yearning and dying over this whole mess as we are, you know it is the holiday season. I think that would make a great uh, great holiday gift. I'm telling you. I started reading some of it, uh, like I said the other day, and it's a good read. He goes through a lot of the uh, individual classics that have been held up to this point. No, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and it's basically they're talking about how much it's been a savior for the NHL, and the footboard is by uh, Detroit Red Wings uh, goaltender Ty Conklin. So check it out. Go over to right. Barnes and Noble, and you can get it for twenty bucks. It's it's a great read. We, we you know we started reading it already. So. And I think I think that's what's going to make it all the more interesting when we talk to him is because that is the angle that it's been a savior for the NHL. Absolutely. Also, want to thank Blog Talk Radio. They chose us as featured hosts on Blog Talk Radio. We're yeah. one of the fastest growing radio shows on Blog Talk. Yep. Um, you know, thank them for giving us such a great platform and letting us do what we do, which is, uh, you know, have a blast here. Um, yep. Also, FratHouseSports.net. Check out Mike, Sidekick, and the rest of the gang. A new Five Minutes at the Frat House was posted last night. Yes, it was. Very Christmas oriented and a very good one. And yes, Sidekick is wearing a polo shirt. <laughs> Check it out. As always, fanjunkies.net. Sign up. It's 100% free. Sports social networking at its best. We're already starting a marketing campaign around the tri-state area here in Eastern Seaboard. Always good stuff. Mike? Yep. Once again, great show. We have to thank Willie Burton again. Absolutely. Class that guy. Check out Educated Stars of Tomorrow. You won't miss it. Once again, for Mike McShane, I'm Jonathan Raggis. Thank you for listening to Fan Junkies Radio, and we'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. 
Maybe you're a 49ers fan in Jacksonville or a Jets fan in Houston, and you're looking to connect with fellow fans from hundreds or thousands of miles away. Look no further than FanJunkies.net. FanJunkies.net is a social networking site dedicated to fans of every team and every league. Connect with baseball, football, basketball, and hockey fans from throughout the country and throughout the world. Get the latest news, take polls, and interact in live chats on game day. And best of all, it's absolutely free to join. Sign up today at FanJunkies.net. FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. 